0: else. So that's just a little freebie, okay? All right. So get, let's get going on the clock. Let's get going, all right? Uh, it is a really good sermon. I, I just hope I can get it done. It, it, it's a little complicated. I'm going to say some things here that if you're much of a theologian, these are mind warping ideas, okay? Uh, but bottom line is, you know, if you're not, don't worry about it, okay? It's not going to break your brain. You know, it's going to be pretty simple and so on. So all right. Here's where I want to start, okay? I want to start with, you know how there's just a season to things, you know? And I don't mean just bad things. I mean, you know how you want something to come to an end? If it's a bad thing, of course you want it to come to an end. We're in Revelations. We're studying really bad things. We want that to come to an end, right? But you know, there's other things that aren't bad. They're even really good things. And and you know, there's just a time when they come to an end. I, I want to do something here. Most of you know me as a pastor or a teacher or a guy that really studies the Bible or all that kind of stuff, you really cannot understand who I am until you understand that. Okay? And I'm just telling you that at, at the deepest recesses of me, I believe I'm a Christian, but just right behind that, <laughs> okay, is ski bum. Okay? And and I got to do that for a long time. And and it just a, when I look at that, I just there's just a feeling, isn't that? Look at the only point of use. You know what I mean? And even if you don't ski, you can go like that's just phenomenal, right? And, and that's, you know, now, I got to tell you, see, I do that, and I used to get to do that all the time. I would ski 60, sometimes 80 days a year, you know, the whole winter, and I would do that the whole time and everything else. And I'm very lucky that I get to do what I do now. I'd much rather do what I do now than just ski bum, but there still is at the heart of me When I dream, when I think, when I think about myself, that's who I am. That's what I think of myself as. But I want you to know something, as much as I love skiing, as much as it's just part of every cell and fiber of my being, there is a time of year, and Memorial Day would be a little late, but just as good as any other day. There's a time of year when it's just time to hang them up. You know what I mean? You just you just gotta hang them up, you know, and you, you put them up and you're done. It's kind of on to the next thing, right? Well, think now. We've been looking at Revelation. And, you know, like I say, if you're just looking at those final f- years that are Revelation, seven plus however many there are, right? And it's it's not a huge time frame. It's not 100 it's a hundred years. It's, you know, maybe in, we don't know, but it's seven plus another seven or so, somewhere in there. There's this period of time, and we all want that to end. The whole world wants that to end because it's a really bad thing. But I want you to come back to your life right now. And I want you to understand that, you know, Revelation is telling us that this is going to come to an end, right? And then there's a part of us, you know, I have a really good life. I'm so thankful to the Lord, what I get to do, where I get to live, who I get to know. I mean, it is phenomenal, right? But, <laughs> you know, it, not all of it. And there's this other stuff in life. And there is this thing where Paul says at one point in time, so you know I'm just not unbiblical, Right? or going through a bout of depression or something as I'm not but but you know Paul says you know he's he's in a place in his life where he could possibly die and he says look I'm really in a quandary here can we go just a little bit more down the lights I'm sorry I just I can't see faces and faces are everything to me thank you very much so what happens is is I'm sorry let me get back (laughs) help me Paul Paul says look it's much better if I die, right? You don't I mean it's just better. <laughs> bottom line, you know I'm not telling you saying my life now sucks. I'm just saying it's better. No matter how good it is here, that's better. much better, right? But you know it seems like maybe God still has some stuff for me to do that be profitable here. so you know all right, I'll stay. <laughs> right? I mean that's Paul saying that. I want you to think right now. You know, we're in Revelation. Next week, we're to the last, I think, sermon in Revelation. And we're going to be talking about new heaven and new earth. This is glorious stuff. This is being in God. Glorious God. In Him for eternity. This is magnificent. I want that. (laughs) When you contrast what I live in now, no matter how good it is, with that, I'm ready to hang up my skis. I'm ready to go there, right? Well, today, we're going to look at a speed bump on the journey to that called the millennium. And I need you to understand the sense about the Millennium. Most people in most what we call evangelical churches, that means churches that actually believe that there is a God, believe that the Word of God is His Word, that He wrote it on purpose, that He meant to communicate something to us, that we're supposed to take it as the guide for all things God, and that we're supposed to learn from it, and everything we learn is going to be consistent with it, so we have a very high value in the Word. Okay that's evangelicals and we believe in going out and reaching out and doing that kind of stuff but bottom line is if you believe in that kind of a thing then most people going to church right now in america would believe something and that is that there really is a thousand year reign in between sort of armageddon and the end of stuff chapter 19 of revelation as we're going to see and the new heaven and earth there's this thousand year segment most of the most people in this room believe that that's happening but do you realize that in the history of christianity that is by far the minority opinion. In fact, the idea that most people going to church, and I mean conservative churches, I'm not talking about liberal or mainline people that have left the Bible and God a long time ago, okay, to various degrees. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about people that really believed in God. It's only until the last, you know, 70, 80, 100 years at the max that there was a widespread agreement amongst lay people that there was a thousand-year period but do you realize that even right now in the scholarly realm in conservative scholars they don't believe in a thousand-year period and they'll explain it way in all kinds of ways And just to kind of show you what I'm talking about let me just show you this is just a this is out of Wikipedia just so it's and there's three basic positions okay and I, this is a little scholarly it'll only take two seconds just hang in there with me pre-millennial What that means is, see that last judgment thing right there? New heaven and new earth comes over here. There's a last judgment, and before that last judgment, Jesus has come again, second coming. Then there's a thousand literal year reign of the people of God ruling over the nations of the earth. Okay? And that means pre-millennial. And that's pre-final judgment, pre-new heaven, new earth, pre. Okay? And then you've got what's called as the second. These are two. By the way, these are the three major positions. It looks like four, but there's only three on there. These are the three major positions, but then within that, there is every shade of degree that you could imagine. There would literally be thousands upon thousands of ways of understanding exactly how these roll out. Okay? But bottom line is, then you get to postmillennial. And postmillennial is the least defensible one. You find people like Pat Robertson and a few other people believe in it, not very many people anymore. And basically, what that says is this it says, before Christ can come again, what has to happen is, the christians who have been put here to reign need to take that reign and redeem the world and bring the world to a righteousness okay now that's the least defensible one because essentially it means we can bring people to a good place without christ that's not true that's not the way they would say they say no it's christ in them and we're supposed to bring the whole world to christ and so on but there's a there's a sense of in post millennial that we make everything spotless for christ who's coming for a spotless bride okay Least defensible one, still lots of people that believe it, and for various reasons. And then there's amillennial, and it's fashionable right now, again, amongst non-scholars, to say amillennial is essentially that liberal kind of don't really believe in the Bible, and it means no millennium. That's not really what the classical definition of amillennialism is. The classical definition is this. We're living in the millennium now. Right now. See, there was, was, up until Jesus' death, there was one kingdom in the world. Satan's right and the world was under his dominion but then when Christ died and when he rose again remember the earthquake and new things starting to come up a new reality came up and that new reality there's now two realities in the world there's I believe this very very strongly Okay, this is true, and what they're saying is that they're saying that millennium chapter, chapter 20, only time it's talked about is a thousand years and so on, and there's other references in some places, but it's not heavily discussed, and so the idea is as we take chapter 20 and we make it fit the whole of the church age, from the time of Christ's resurrection until he comes again, that's the time when Christians are reigning with Christ. See the, see the terminology, see the wording? So you see, and you can see how you get there, see what I mean? Now, again, I want you to understand something. That position that I've just described, even amongst conservative scholars, is today the majority position. My favorite professor, uh, by far, in seminary, and I liked several of them, but this guy, three, four years under him doing systematic theology, which is just right in my wheelhouse, absolutely loved it bottom line this is what rod williams has to say about it first he says it hardly needs saying that the question of the millennium has been one of the most perplexing biblical and theological issues in the history of christendom and that's true it's you you really are not going to find something this is the only place in the commentaries where you'll find people saying i don't know it could be this way it could be that way You see scholars saying that kind of thing all the time. Sometimes they'll go ahead and take a a jump on it, and some people will get pretty hardcore about it, but you never have so much openness to, well, it may be this and it may be this. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. And let me just tell you, that impulse that I started with, you know, it should be done. When Rod Williams was describing this, because I I raised my hand and I said, you're going to have to go a little deeper with me on this because I got some problems with this. And he said, his final argument was something like this. What would be the point I mean, you know, everybody's made their decisions, and they made a decision for Christ or not, and Jesus comes back, and he, and, you know, it's over. I mean, let's get on to heaven now. What would be the point of a thousand years? It'd be like a waste of time. What's the point? That's literally the way that he argued it. It just seems stupid. By the way, when William says that, he's in good company. John Calvin, Father Reformation, a belief in a literal thousand year reign is a fiction too childish to either, to, to either, too childish either to need or to be worth refutation. He was not alone in that. Luther and whoever this guy is, Zwingli, Bollinger, Calvin, and I just can't pronounce his name, repudiated the Millennium Doctrine. The Catholic Church, the current Pope, says that to believe in a literal thousand year reign in the way that we're talking about, you know after he's come again and and then a little thousand they say that that's the doctrine of the antichrist now i do want to say what they're really going against is post-millennialism when they say that they're going after this idea that we're going to establish a kingdom on earth and they're saying that's a deception and a wrong thing and that's what satan's trying to do so they're actually not horribly wrong when they say that but nonetheless they still don't take a millennial a premillennial position see what i mean they just don't and nobody does. Not in the scholarly world, not nobody, because there's, there's plenty of people that are working on it and so on. But you get the drift. So we're going to do something here today which has served us pretty well over the last several months, even over a year now. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the same thing we've been doing the whole time. We're going to ask one question in order to understand Revelation. And here's the question. What's God trying to communicate? He's saying something. Why? What's he trying to communicate? that's what we've been asking over and over right and when we did that there's an assumption that we make and here's what the assumption is god's a good communicator (laughs) when he communicates he's not like me he doesn't say something that he means to be really clear on and you're going huh i don't understand that okay not that only a southern hillbilly wouldn't understand me (laughs) sorry about that I got a whole bunch of jokes that are going through my mind. Erase, 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 filter, filter, filter. OK. all right. They're mostly against me, so all right. But bottom line is, is that you, you get into this place where you, you're dealing with, I have lost my train of thought again. It's going to be one of those kind of days. Uh, where was I? Help me out here. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't help me. That's not helpful. That's hurtful. No. Oh, there's one question. Okay. And the question we're asking, we're saying God is a good communicator. He can communicate clearly. He can communicate cleanly, purely. And we've found that to be true in Revelation, haven't we? How many of us, when we started Revelation, this is, I'm in this camp now. How many of us thought this is really going to be tough? I mean, we're going to get into some dark, deep, confusing, hard to understand places that are just going to be really tough to understand. And here's the truth. We haven't at all. In fact, if you remember for a couple of months there in the most difficult places, the most abstract language and so on, I would just say, what do you think this means? And people would just say, well, I think it means this. And we'd say, yeah, that's what it means. And then we'd look at it, and sure enough, it just was simple. It really was God doing something nice for his people. He's trying to bring comfort to people who are going to go through horrible hardship. It wouldn't be very nice of him to make that really obtuse the, remember the purpose of the book is comfort food it wasn't confusion it was to comfort smart and not so smart it was to comfort everybody hillbilly included okay you get the point so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take that and we're gonna do that again with this chapter chapter 20 in, in Revelation and when we do that we're gonna see something Because what we do is first we see what the scripture says, and then we ask the question why. We don't come and say, I got all these thoughts that I need everything to line up with. So I need the word to say this. We're going to see what it says, and then we're going to say, why in the world would he do that? And all of a sudden we're going to see things about him once again that are just like, ugh. And it turns out they're things that are super important for us to understand. So that's where we're headed. This is great. Kathy Miller, you're the one that's, that's raising up. Uh, the Millers are just, you guys are just like a ray of sunshine. Just wherever you are, it's like the sun just shines. So Thank you. pray for the sermon. Pray for another church. Thanks.
1: Well, Father, we have started out this morning with such excitement, and it's excitement over you and what you've done in our lives. You provided your son, and then you gave us your spirit, and now you're teaching us your ways so that we might walk in your truth. Father, I pray that you allow each one of our hearts to be open. Amen. I pray that maybe some of the things that are in there you could get rid of that aren't good and aren't truth, Bring in things that can grow us and teach us to mature in you. Thank just Jesus. grow us up in you, God. Amen. May your spirit be glorified today. Amen. And may Pilgrim Lutheran Church in Spokane continue on the road they started just Lord January Jesus. 1st father bless them amen
0: Amen. and bless the motorcycle ministry that the millers are involved in thank you god anointing success all right so we're in our we're in our series which is you know demystifying the book of revelation but i don't know if i've got it okay there you go uh i didn't have the little thing all right anyway uh all right so we're just gonna dig in here we go revelation 19 now i i want to do something do remember that when they were writing the Bible, you know, when John was writing this down, he didn't write down chapter 19, verse one. This is what it says. Now, verse two. This is what it says. You know, we added the numbers later. So I want to pick it up at the end of 19, and I want to show you that in many ways it's the chapter break at verse 20 that allows us to get into some what I think to be bad theology. There, I want you to see that there's a flow that just keeps going. There's no break. There's Armageddon happens, end of chapter 19. Then the beast was captured with him, the false prophet who did many miracles. Remember, Armageddon is not a big battle where we go to war. Armageddon is the time when Jesus shows up again, and the sword that's in his mouth, meaning his word, the same word that spoke all of creation into existence, speaks the rebellion out. And so it's over. It's not a battle where they're clashing swords and blood is being let and so on. It's a battle where the other side is just being wiped out. And so then he captures the beast within the false prophet and did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit. See how it just flows, okay? Uh, and a heavy chain in his hand. He sees the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterwards, he must be released for a little while. Now, I want you to see something. You, you, you see what the flow is. If the flow, I mean, you can't read this and get... So, at the end of chapter 19, you've got Armageddon and the false prophet and the Antichrist are thrown in the lake, and then there's this break, and then there's a whole other thing being talked about. Do you see, you, you don't get that as a flow, do you? You can't go somewhere else with this chapter. This chapter is just a continuous thought, okay? And and what the continuous thought, just a couple of little things that I want to point out here. Uh, The fiery lake of burning sulfur is where the Antichrist and the false prophet go to. Satan, which turns out to be an eternal place, we're going to see that later. Satan gets thrown into the bottomless pit. Later he'll get thrown into the fiery lake. See what I mean? So something's happening here in this bottomless pit place. Okay, And then the other thing is, I just want you to see, and again we'll look at that, but a thousand years. And do understand one thing. Whenever prophetic language uses numbers, it's not necessarily saying literally 1,000 years to the day. A thousand years is communicating a long period of time. See what I mean? And that does that all the time in prophetic language. This is the only place, by the way, where the millennium is called a thousand years. Millennium means a thousand years. That's why we call it the millennium. But every other time when we're talking about this period of time in any way prophetically, it's not listed as being a thousand years. It's actually kind of conjoined. Remember how we kept putting chairs up here? We kept saying that there's multiple fulfillments of a thing. Well, we're getting some detail now on what those different fulfillments are. And we're seeing something about this part of these prophetic scriptures about the end that have to do with this period of time that we now call the millennium because of Revelation chapter 20. Okay? So there you go. Now, then I, then I saw thrones and people sitting on them had been given authority to judge. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for the proclaiming of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They all came to life again. They reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of them did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. I want you to look at that little passage right there. I didn't mark it, but I need you to note something here. Some people will say the first resurrection is all people who believe in God. I want you to look carefully here and tell me whether or not that sentence says that or not, because it doesn't. It simply says that some do. And it identifies who those some are, and we're going to look at them in one second. But I want you to see something. People will say the first resurrection is all believers. The second resurrection is people that don't believe, and they're going to be resurrected to be damned. It doesn't say that, actually. That's a good theological interpretation being foisted upon the Word to make it say that. All it says is people that were beheaded because they didn't take the mark reigned. Those ones are first resurrection. The second one they're cool on but it may be that believers and unbelievers are raised in the second one and they're separated some unto life some unto death okay alright so this is the first resurrection. the rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection for them the second death holds no power doesn't mean that people in the second one all go to death just means the first ones are cool okay They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. All right? Pretty simple, right? Now, who are the people that we're talking about here? Where do we find them? How do we know who he's talking about that's going to reign with him? Well, it says it really clearly right here. They did not worship the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their forehead of their hands. They were beheaded. Do you remember where that comes from? Revelation chapter 13. The Antichrist, or the false prophet, was permitted to give life to the statue of the Antichrist so that they, that statue could speak. Then the statue of the beast, the Antichrist, commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Beheaded, apparently. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. Okay? This is, if they'll worship him, and we've talked about all of this, when it says anyone, does it mean every single person? Or is it trying to communicate that this is the vast majority of the world? When it says the whole nation of Israel is going to be saved, does it mean every Jew that's ever lived is going to be saved? No, it doesn't. But it does mean the vast majority will, and we'll see that again. So just, just getting a hold of this, here's where we see who these people are. Now, I'm going to do something now. I'm going to dig our timeline that we've been building and I want you to see something about this, okay? So here's the timeline, and I'm going to start over here. Notice that I've blacked out, grayed out the 144,000 sealed. I've highlighted Christians raptured, the seals, in chapter 6. And here's why. Because in the 5th and the 6th seals, we have tremendous persecution of Christians, us, Gentile Christians. There may be some Messianics in there too, but the people that we currently call the church are being beheaded and martyred. And what happens is, we know that they're the ones that are, that are martyred and the, one, the rest that are alive are raptured because right here in Revelation 7, see that's chapter 6, this is chapter 7. The first half of 7 has to do with the sealing of Jews because a new thing is happening. But now they're cleaning up the last stuff about the church age, the Gentile age, us. And here it is. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are those clothed in white robes and from where have they come? They're in God's presence. And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones, very important here, coming out of the great tribulation. NLT mistranslates this and says, these are the ones who died, the martyrs only. It's not what it says. It says coming out. Happens to be totally related to the word that Paul's using when he says rapture. It's the same idea. It's the coming out. Not just the dead, the dead rise first, but then they come out in the blink of an eye, da-da-da, okay? All right, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So what we've been saying all along, and you know, look, look, do not, um, I believe this to be absolutely true and really simple and straightforward. I could be wrong. Do you understand that? Okay, that might not be actually where the rapture is, but this is what I believe, and it seems to me the language says it, and this is what I'm arguing and so on, but watch this. Okay, now what happens after the Christians are after after the church is gone? What happens? The Jewish age starts. The time clock starts again. You remember from Abraham all the way to Christ, four hundred years before Christ, to be specific. God is prophesying, 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 prophesying things that are going to happen to the Jews, right? One of the ones that's most dramatic is Daniel seventy weeks. 69 weeks from an identifiable point in time, which is almost 500 years, 60, 69 times 7, you get to literally the exact time of Christ's death. So it would be like somebody 200 years ago when this country formed, saying almost 500 years, two and a half times the length of time that we've been a nation, two and a half that amount of time, in this down to the month, this is when something else is going to happen. That's what this prophecy is like. And then it says 69 plus 1. And what's very clear in the prophecy itself is there's this break in time between the 69 weeks, that's the cutoff and, the, and so on, and then there's a final week that takes place later. And we're seeing it right here. See? We got the 144,000 Jews sealed. Then we've got trumpets taking place, and I'm arguing the Christians are out of here at that point in time, but they're still, God's still trying to bring people to him through the trumpets, through increasing judgments. He's trying to bring people to him, remember? Then here's that 70th week, kicks in. The temple's rebuilt. Here's the midpoint. Now what happens at the midpoint of that point in time? The Jews get saved. This is when the two witnesses are raptured. This is the moment. And at that point in time, the Antichrist goes crazy and starts persecuting the Jews and starts killing them. Martyring them, just like the Christians were martyred back here in 5th and and 6th seal. See what's happening? Okay? So this is now happening. It's a repeat. Like I keep saying, prophecy does this. It comes like this. It keeps repeating. So what we get to is we get to Jesus being saved, and all of this is Jewish time period. Then we go, so chapter 6 through 11, as we keep saying, this is a literal history to where anybody living on earth can say, yep, that's what happened. They could write it down in their journal. They don't have to understand anything spiritual. That's the history. Then in chapter 12, we have a weird thing happen where God goes back. It's like he pulls the curtain back, you know, Loser of Oz, and he says, look behind the curtain. I want you to see the spiritual thing that's motivating all this history. And chapter 12 starts all the way back at Jesus' birth, and then it comes forward to where by the time you get to chapter 13, you're into this period of time right in here with the Antichrist in the 70th week. Okay. Am, am I okay? Do I need to, do we need to do some jumping jacks and stretch right now, or are we good? Okay, a little break, joke, maybe a little dance. Okay, can we give you a moment? Okay, everybody there? All right, all right. Then we get chapters 14, 15, 16, and then 17 and 18. We get angels saying, don't take the mark of the beast. If you do, you're going to be destroyed. You know, Jesus has come. The spiritual is now being revealed to all of mankind. All this stuff is happening. Then in chapter 15, we get this scene in heaven right before the bowls. Then the bowls come out, and once again, we've got the trumpets and the bowls and and the thunders even, and all this stuff where God is over. He's just, more and more, he's trying to get people to come to him. He's giving them, he's never forcing them, but he's always giving them yet another reason to come to him. Yet a bigger reason to come to him. Yet a bigger reason to come to him. See what he's doing? And he does that in the bowls. All the way up here to the very last minute when... Jesus returns chapter 19 Armageddon there it is now what we've just said a second ago was where the millennium fits is right there chapter 20 it comes after the stuff of chapter 19 and I don't like it I'm a conservative I actually believe the Bible means what it says But can I tell you right now, I don't want the millennium there. I want to hang my skis up. I don't want to come back for a thousand years. I don't want to come back. I don't want to ski deep powder all year long from, you know, from November until, you know, if you go to Whistler, you can ski ski powder like last week in Whistler, right? Now, in the summer, there's going to be what they call glacial skiing, which is they have a glacier up there. So it's still, and they got a lift running and everything else. But do you know the difference between glacier skiing and powder skiing? You know what I mean? Powder skiing is like heaven. Glacier skiing is like ice. You know, it's just different. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's not fun. I'm not saying it doesn't. But, you know, I mean, what's, if you've skied powder all year, you don't really want to go to glacier. The other way around, okay. Glacier and then powder, save the best for last. You see it? Otherwise, it just, just doesn't. I don't want the millennium there. I want the new heaven and the earth there. That's when I want it to show up. And I'm just going to scratch chapter 20, but no, we can't do that. So let's do this. Let's just scooch everything up and stick it down here. Okay? Let's make it like chapter 12 and 13. Now, you understand, I'm saying this as a bit of a joke, but you understand, this is precisely what most scholars have done for 2,000 years. Exactly. Okay. What they've done is, is they've said, now the millennium, really what that chapter 20 is about is just read it, you know. It really is kind of a repetition of the end-time stuff, and we can see it's really the church age going into the end-time stuff. So that's what chapter 20 really is. And therefore, we get the new heaven and the earth where we want it, because that's better. So let's have that as our theology. If we can make it line up with the word, I'm game. But let's just start with the word First. We already saw that there's some problems with doing it that way. But let's just let's just take it. I do want you to understand something. See, if we just do little bitty things, not terribly important things. I mean, there's a, how many verses are there in the Bible? Do you know actually know faith by any chance? I mean, does anybody know rich? You might know. Yeah, that sounds low, but yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of verses. Can't we just take like half of one and just kind of you know, do, see this one of those who have been beheaded for their testimony and they're not taking the mark. Can't we just do that with that one? Because if we do, I want you to understand this whole millennium thing that we wanted to work out in a certain way works out really good. Because see, look, then I saw thrones and people sitting on them, they gave them authority to judge and I saw souls, they reigned with Christ for a thousand years, just like we're doing right now. See, with Christ in the church, it works, see? This is the first resurrection. You see, I've been born again, you know what I mean? And it didn't come back to life. Bless those who were sharing the first. They're not going to do it. And then I go on. Now watch, this still works, see? When the thousand years comes to an end, when this church age comes to an end, and the end comes, and all this kind of stuff, Satan's let out of prison. Oh, I get it. See, when Jesus was resurrected, it's like there's this other kingdom, and that boxed Satan in, and we could say, like, that's him being in prison. I mean, if we want to just fuss a little bit, you know what I mean? Just fudge, you know, just go gray instead of just black and white, right? You get it, okay? So, you know, it's good. Like, he'll go out to deceive the nations, right? At the very end, he gets released from prison. He goes out, and he, and he, and he, this is Armageddon, right? Before Armageddon. Doesn't a whole bunch of people gather for war against Jesus at Armageddon? See, in every corner of the earth, he gathers them together, a mighty army, as numberless as the sand of the seashore. I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth. Clearly, say these scholars. He's talking about Armageddon, because after all, this is where Armageddon, you see that whole broad plain? That's Armageddon. Megiddo is Armageddon, Megiddo, do you see where you get it? The plain of? Okay, And so this is the plane of, and this is where all these armies have come together. Coming from the sea, coming over land routes, coming down, coming up. They've gathered here to do war against God. I mean, this, this chapter 20 is working out beautifully for us. Until we get to, you know, actual words again. Because what they're surrounding is God's people in a beloved city. Remember, they were gathered against war, and then Jesus, with a with sword in his mouth, his word destroyed them. Well, here's what the problem is. See, Megiddo's up here, and Jerusalem's all the way down here. So in Armageddon, they're gathered up here, but this seems to be indicating they're gathered here. And what this would be totally analogous to is saying an army has gathered around the city of Seattle. They just happen to be in (laughs) Clealem, the mountains included. Do you see the mountains? You see? It just doesn't fit. We just can't make it fit. This, this amillennial position, it just isn't true to the actual words of a good communicator, communicating something of importance. And see, then there's fire that comes down attacking the armies and consuming them. Why doesn't that fit chapter 19? What was it in chapter 19 that wiped him out? The word, the word his word from his mouth. Now what is it? Fire. It's a whole different thing. See this? Then the devil who deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of the burning sulfur. Remember, he was in a pit. Now he's in the, joining the beast and the false prophet that tormented day and night forever. No, no person sees that's the. But do you see what happens here? If we could just blank out little pieces, we can get to the interpretation that we like, the one that we want. And I'm not accusing, by the way. I'm doing this facetiously so that it's more fun to listen to. I'm not accusing all these scholars that do this of, of being, you know, wrong-spirited. They're genuinely trying to find God, and they genuinely think they're being true to Scripture. My problem is we've done something. We've said that God is a good communicator who can communicate plainly and clearly and simply and straightforwardly. And we have looked at chapter 20 now, and we've come to a conclusion, and the conclusion is you just can't get there from here. You just can't get to non millennial position. That's just the bottom line. There's just too much stuff that you have to just sort of fudge or erase. And so the millennium goes there. I mean, just do what you want to do. Okay, if the millennium goes there, I'm bummed because I was skiing powder because I was with God. I got raptured. And I was with God, remember? And what was I doing with God? Waiting on him in his presence. This is powder times infinity. This is gloriousness. I was doing the glorious stuff, and now God is telling me I got to come back and rule on this hot rock. It says, literally, it says what we're doing in heaven is, you know, the scorching heat isn't catching us anymore and so on. Not a big problem we have up here in the Northwest, but, you know, if you're vacationing down in Palm Desert right now at 106, you know, it makes sense. But but you get the point. See, it, it just doesn't. What if? Well, you know how I said there's all kinds of wrinkles? I'm I'm asking you to understand. I'm proposing something to you. I'm not telling you this is the way it is. Because I'm gonna be humble like most of the scholars are when they look at it, because most of the scholars are 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 not mean-spirited and they're not wrong-headed. They actually say, I think this is the way it is, but I'm open and in ways that you don't see them being open about any other issue, frankly. And so I want to be open here, too. But I want to propose something to you that makes, I think, kind of sense. Who is it who's reigning with Christ again? Who have we identified as reigning with Christ? Who is it? Yes, plus what else? There's a subset of that that's actually identified as the ones who are being martyred, but there's a subset of martyrs because martyrs have been happening all along too. What's well, the subset? They didn't take the mark. That's what it said. It said the people that came back to reign with them were the ones that didn't take the mark. So let me do something with you here. You see what I've got highlighted here? The sixth and seventh seal, Christians rapt. This is where we're dying and being martyred. And then we're raptured and now we're in God's presence right here we got a whole bunch of Jews being saved and then they're being killed quickly they're being saved and persecuted in a a three-and-a-half year period of time it's those people that are being said will come back raise again I'm proposing to you that it isn't all that are in Christ that there's still us who have been raptured or martyred before as Gentile, we're with him, and we're still with him. We get to stay in powder. Other people, these people right here, come to a certain place. Now let me, I'll make this clear to you, hopefully graphically. I hope I did this well. Took me a lot of time to put this together, so I hope this works, okay? But watch this. This is the Jewish timeline. You see the stuff that's grayed out, the Christians raptured, the seals, the church, all the rest of this And you see how I even grayed out part of the arrow there? I didn't even know you could do that on there, but I tried tried to figure it out, and I figured out a way to do it. It's a way to go PowerPoint, okay? (laughs) Seriously, I felt, you know, it's really cool. It lets me do that. But you see, I got Gentile age all on this side of that line. And everything on this side of that line is Jewish age. It doesn't mean there's not Gentiles involved in it, because there's still Gentiles that are coming too. But what it means is, this is the time... When all those prophecies, when those 2,000 years of history that God had with the Jewish people to show the world what was going on, and they failed to do it, really important to remember that, 2,000 years failed to do it, guess what? They're getting another chance. Why isn't, why isn't the millennium still part of the Jewish age? Why, why doesn't our diagram look like that? Why doesn't it look like that? See, the not-marked martyrs rule with Jesus. Isn't that, doesn't that have the most fidelity to the text? Doesn't that not assume anything, like we're being raptured with them, or da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da? Doesn't this, doesn't this have the most fidelity? I want to propose to you that millennium is actually a period of time when the Jewish people are playing out the very thing that they failed to do for the 2,000 years. Now, we're going to go into that, the reasoning for that, in just one more second. It's going to be pretty cool, but I want you to see something first. I want you to see the final judgment is what comes next. So I'm just kind of almost inserting this right here, okay? No watch. See, and then I saw a great white right throne. After the millennium's over, this is when the final judgment happens. After the thousand years, Armageddon, Jesus returning, then a thousand years. Then the final judgment where I saw a great right throne, and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence. They found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. I saw, and the books were opened, including the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead. The dead and the death and the grave uh, gave up their dead. All were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire, which is the second death. And anyone whose name... And I want to insert here, assuming that some people's names are being found in those books, the book of life, but anyone who wasn't found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Isn't that the final judgment? Isn't, this is the, right? I mean, this is, right? By the way, sidebar, freebie, Rob Bell, and people like him, that wanna say they're, you know, universalism, everybody comes to the Lord? It's just not true. It's said right here that it's just not true. There are people whose names are not written in the book. Now, remember something though about those people, see? Because here's what God's been trying to do. He's done seals, he's done trumpets, He's done the 70th week. He's done the thunders, which we never talk about because they were sealed up. He's done this spiritual history behind there. He's revealed to people the spiritual nature. He's poured out the bowls. He has done thing after thing after thing after thing in order to try and get people to come to him. And I am done when it gets to Armageddon and I'm done. But that's the difference between me and God. I want to propose to you that God's Patience is always more than what I want. I'm one of the saints that's before the throne saying, how much longer? And even thinking that God's not being right about this. And God's response is not until all have come. But let me just take you one step further into a really cool place. What's going on in this millennial time? Is it just a repeat of what's been going on all along? No, I don't think so, and here's why. I want to propose to you that there's a compression of history as we've known it to date and and to the end. And I would use an analogy that goes something like this. We went to Australia at one point in time, and then we flew to New Zealand. And we started over here at Sydney, and then we flew across New Zealand. Okay. And when we flew across New Zealand, there was a striking thing that I want you to see on this thing. And if there's any way you guys can pause it right there, I don't want it to go white. We need to show everybody this. So, ah, good, we're good. Ah, shoot. Uh, Is there any way you can do that? Just run it again. I want. Just run it again, and I'll explain it so you can see at the very end. When you're flying from Sydney to, here's what you do. You come over a very lush green coast. This is just like flying over America. You come to a very lush green coast that then builds itself to these beautiful mountains. Think Lord of the Rings, Rocky Mountains. And then it goes into a high coastland. Oh, you are so awesome. It goes into a high coastland that's in here, and it's quite high, and it looks all mountainy there because it's got snow on it this time of year, but it's very fertile, okay? And then you go to a second mountain range that's right here, like the Appalachians, and then you go down into the coast as you're going over to the Atlantic, like you are. And so it takes me how long in a jet, you know, normal commercial jet, about eight hours or so, one coast to the other, maybe a little under that, In New Zealand, it takes me like an hour and a half. But it's exactly the same as America. I'm telling you, flying over it, I just was blown away. The whole time I was going, this is like a little bitty America. It's just compressed. I want to propose to you that that's precisely what the millennium is. It's a compressed period of time where God's doing another thing. This is one of those places where... This ought to blow your mind if you're a theologian, right? You remember when Jesus came? What were the Jews looking for? They wanted a rule, right? And we say, how silly of them. They didn't know that Jesus was coming. And, you know, there is a rule, but it's spiritual. It's Christian. It's the kingdom of God. What have we been saying over and over about prophecy? It fulfills both literally and spiritually, metaphorically. It fulfills in both. The way that I've just described this millennium to you, if this is still part of the Jewish age, you do realize that when he said that the Jews were going to reign with him, he meant that too. Not just reign spiritually as part of the kingdom of God. I'm proposing to you that one of the things that he's saying is, is that he's saying the Jews will actually reign and they will have a chance, as I said just a second ago, they'll have a chance to redeem the 2,000 years that they could never get it right. And then they finally saw who he was. And they're coming to a people, and we don't really know who these people are. Apparently, there were some people that didn't get the mark and didn't die at that last time. And, and by the way, Isaiah 65, I could have gone into this. All these scriptures, by the way, I, I hope you know how much I'm taking time in the Old Testament to make sure that my interpretations here jive totally with Old Testament stuff. I just don't want to put so much into it. It seems like my sermons are long enough. You know? And so to go back and show that, you know what I mean? But I'm just telling you, this is, this is all Old Testament, too. And you go back to Isaiah 65, and about this millennial period of time, he seems to be saying that people will start living to very old ages again. And you want to know one of the things that's interesting about old ages? Population grows much faster. Just because, you know, you get to a certain age, you can make babies, and then you just keep making them. For very long periods of time. And everybody else is making them it goes exponentially up. So there doesn't have to be a lot of people on the earth for there to end up a thousand years later having a lot of people on the earth. And I want to propose to you that what the Jews are doing, what they were thinking beforehand was I'm going to rule over people who have been ruling over me because I'm going to pay them back. And now all of a sudden what they're doing is is they're saying, no, you just got to come to know God. Oh man, he's cool. He's amazing. He did all these amazing... Now now here's what's really being said here. This millennial period in the end isn't actually about God. Can I say something else about what's happening in these end times? In this Jewish time period when it kicks in? Can we say that there's a lot of maybe jailhouse conversions taking place? Here's the thing about a jailhouse conversion. That, That would insinuate the way I just said it too, that it was not a real conversion. That's not true. A jailhouse conversion is a real conversion. The issue is is whether or not it's going to hold up in the real world. See? When I'm in this trouble, I'm with him. But how am I going to do when I'm not in this trouble? Can I propose to you that Christians that have been going through this in their lives and are raptured out have already got that? And the people that are coming at that Jewish age kicking in again, just as it says right there, are going through really intense things and they're coming to the Lord in really intense ways and now there's a period of time where God wants to do something, I don't want you to just say, even though you mean it, that you're with me. I want you to fall in love with me. And I want you to have a choice about that too. Here's what I'm saying. Is the millennium a period of time where the Jews can communicate so beautifully that God is so much more than what you think and draw people to a love relationship, not a law one. This week in our soap, King David, a man after God's own heart, adulterer, murderer, everything else, but the man that God raised up more than any other to communicate what it's like to be with God before there was a Jesus, before he'd been made new again, King David in our soap, Psalm 40 this week says this, you take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. That is totally wrong, David. You're a Jewish king. You're supposed to be all about the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and David was. But David got God beyond. David, David got the real God to the point that he can say, you don't require Look, now that you've made me listen, I finally get it. You don't require burnt offerings and sin offerings. You make them available so that we'll learn something from them. But that's not what you're after. You're not after me doing the stuff. You're after me. My heart. Which he can say, by the way, this is a Jesus moment. Look what he says. Then I said, look, I have come as it is written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Who's he talking about? Jesus, the one whose image we're being conformed to. This is King David a thousand years before there is a Jesus telling us what Jesus is all about. The firstborn who just loves God. (laughs) Loves him. Doesn't do it out of rules and sacrifices and offerings and prescribed things. Does it because it's on his heart in love to be with God I think the thousand years is God giving every person that came and is born and so on he's giving them an opportunity to truly come to him because do you remember at the end of the thousand years what happens Satan gets released again and it turns out once again he's able to raise an army against God And this time it's against God's people who you know Jerusalem and where Jesus is reigning and so on and fire comes down and burns them up (laughs) so once again it's not a big battle you know we never learn but you do, do, you see the, do you see the tenderness, the preciousness? Now, I want to just bring this home to you with a final thought. It's Memorial Day. What's Memorial Day? What's Memorial mean? Remember, Memorial. <laughs> Remember. Remember what? Those who gave our lives. They gave their lives. For what? For our freedom. That's what we say, right? They gave our lives for our freedom. I, I want to make it much deeper than that. What were they really doing? It wasn't for our freedom, ultimately. They were willing to give their lives for you. They were willing to die for someone else. We don't have to add other words onto it. It almost takes away from the power of it. These are people that were willing to die for somebody else. I wanna show you a video here, a Memorial Day video. And I want you to see how this concept of what we remember, celebrates the wrong word, right? But what we remember today on Memorial Day, I want you to see what it is that we remember. And, I, and you'll see how it then ties it back in Could I ask everybody who's in this room that has ever served in the military, would you please stand up? Bring the house lights up, would you please? Yeah. I want you to keep standing one second. I'm sorry, but would you please? There's others that could be in this room right now that aren't because they're part of what we memorialize on this day. I want you to understand that what these guys did is the image of God. This is that incredible length to which God has gone for someone else to reach them to make life possible for them this is what we're supposed to look like we're supposed to be conformed into his image and this is what we're supposed to look like these that were willing to give their lives for other people that's the amazing truth about God that's the depths to which he goes And so, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift up these who are among us who were willing to die. We thank you that they didn't have to. We remember those who, in fact, did. We come before your throne right now. And what we ask for is is that you would conform all of us into that image, the image of Christ that went forth your very heart that we see in seals and trumpets and bowls and over and over over and over, over and over 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 and over and then when we're ready to hang it up because surely it's done now you still go another thousand yards because you want not just to bring people home but to bring them home in the fullness in the life in the love that you are. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, we say, thank you, God. You who have begun this good work in us will complete it. You who have started it will perfect it. In Jesus' holy and precious name, Reach down.